This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, July 10th, 2016. We are Connection Teamwork. Uh, my name is Bill Trench, and normally I uh, stand over here and I play guitar and I sing, but today I am privileged and honored that, to bring you God's Word. So um, this week we're going to continue this ser- uh, series on We Are Connection, and uh, it's our opportunity to really talk about the revamped vision that we have for our church and our values, and um, the tagline for this is working together beats working alone, and we'll talk more about that, but uh, first let me pray for you. Lord Jesus God, you are so awesome. Sometimes I think we forget that you uh, made the universe with a thought. And God, uh, that certainly makes our problems seem awful small. And uh, sometimes I think we, uh, we walk in here with problems we think you can't handle, and that's just not true. God, help us to just lay those burdens that we have down right now so that we can open our hearts to hear your word to hear what you need us to hear, Lord, so that we can walk out of here different than we walked in and uh, be your vessels. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and all of connection said, amen. All right, so we've got a lot to go through, but um, let's start off with the definition. Pretty simple de- definition, ability to work together on a common goal or vision. That's what teamwork is. It's ability to work together on a common goal or vision. My favorite author, Michael, Jordan stated talent wins games, but teamwork wins championships. There's a lot more to be said in that statement than you think, and uh, I think uh, God believes the same things. Um, Let me start with a little story. When I was a kid, I was in sixth grade, um, I started football, Pop Warner football, and um, it was neat. I was a rookie, never played before, and we had a great team. Uh, It was sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Our eighth grade team was just incredible. I mean, they were big, they were fast, they were strong, they were talented. Quarterback was an all-stater in high school, four years in a row, just a phenomenal team. And in that first year that I played, we won every single game, every single game. It was just amazing. I played a total of zero plays. (laughs) I didn't play one play, but I got to watch it. I got to see the team gel. And we got to go to a bowl game at the end. And the bowl game is really a game you get to go and travel and play another team. We got to play a team up in New York. Um, and this team that just was phenomenal got their bell rung. I mean, they got beat bad. 20 points, I think it was. That was a long ride home from upper state New York, I can tell you that. So the next year comes around, and um, my group, the group that I hung out with, we became starters because everybody that was starter before that went on to high school. So we were starters. We didn't have much talent. We were a lot smaller. We, um, we were quick. We had a lot of heart, but we had no, nowhere near the talent of the team before. So we went into summer practice, and we really worked hard. We ran, and we ran, and we ran, and we you know, listened to the coach, and we learned all the plays, and we did everything we needed to do to be the best team that we possibly could be. And the first game came around. It was Cesar Rodney, and let me tell you, they were the best team in the whole league. And so we went into this game going, oh, we got to start this whole this whole year off with the best team. And so we went to that game. First half, we struggled. We, you know, we did all right. We were down about two touchdowns, I think, at halftime. And our coach, Coach Jarman, who uh, was normally a pretty calm guy, was not calm in that locker room. He threw helmets. He threw fits. And the man screamed. 
and he was just out of control. And he just looked at us and he goes, you can't win anything unless you believe in something. And then he looked at us and he said, I believe in you. And something happened to our team. And we gelled. We walked out of that locker room a different team. We not only won that game, we won every game that year. Every single game. And we got invited to a bowl game. It was in Pittsburgh, PA, and I'm a Pittsburgh fan, so I was like loving life. I'm going to Pittsburgh. I get to play in my favorite town. This is in 1977, so I can tell you um, the Pittsburgh Steelers were pretty popular at the time. And uh, so I was really happy to go to Pittsburgh, but we got there the day before the game, and let me tell you, we got to meet the team. They were huge, huge. The quarterback was in seventh grade, and he was six foot. It was ridiculous. I was like, I don't, I don't know what they're feeding people up in Pittsburgh, but it's, it was ridiculous. They were, they were huge. So the first night we got there, and we saw these people, and we were, they were nice, and, uh, but we didn't have much hopes. <laughs> we looked at this team, we didn't have much hopes. The day came the next day, and we started the game, and it was cold. It was really, it was frigid cold, windy, cold. The ground was like cement. We played the first half, and we played as hard as we could. I mean, we were bouncing off that ground, and we were bruised, and we were hurt, and we were tired. And um, we came into the locker room. I think we were down one touchdown, so we were doing pretty good. We were holding our own. Second half comes around, and let me tell you, it starts snowing. I mean, a blizzard blizzard snow. These big guys couldn't run in the snow. <laughs> they couldn't run in the snow. We were small, agile, low to the ground, and we took them on, and we won that game. And we won that game handily. And we beat those guys from Pittsburgh. By the way, it was the Beaver Falls, uh, Beaver Falls the Buccaneers or something. But they, uh, they were 10th in the nation. And we beat them. And we didn't beat them because we were talented. We didn't beat them because we had the greatest team in the world. We beat them because we were a team. We played for each other, and we played for our coach. And it left a lasting impression for me. And this is, the reason I tell you this story is because this is kind of how God looks at us. He wants us to win, but he knows we have to work together to do it. So, with that said, you ever wonder why God doesn't give all the talents in the world to one, two people, let them do all the work? I mean, he could just give everybody, you know, these five people, all the talents. They could do all the work for God, and the rest of us could just watch. He doesn't do that, right? Do you ever wonder why God gives certain talents to somebody and not to another? Sometimes it drives you crazy, doesn't it? How come this person can sing and I can't sing? I want to sing. But, you know, God does this in a way so he can accomplish his work. So what does God say in the Bible about teamwork, because he does talk about teamwork, and he does uh, value teamwork. And I think there's three, three clear reasons why uh, God believes in teamwork. If you write them down, number one is divine design, and it comes absolutely natural to us. God created relationships. God is relationships, and that's the way he wired us. That's the way it is. It's divine design. Let me give you a couple of examples. Easiest one, right? The Trinity. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is in relationship. God is a team. That's an awesome team, by the way. Always has been, always is, and always will be. God made that. Second example, Adam and Eve. God made Adam. He saw that Adam uh, 
didn't want him to be alone, so he made Eve. It's the first marriage. It's the first team that God made. There's a story in Ezra. It's an Old Testament uh, book in the front of the Bible, and uh, there's a guy named Nehemiah, and he worked for the uh, Persian king, and uh, the Persian king overtook the Babylonian king. Israelites were in bondage for 400 years in Babylonia, but that ended when the Persian king took over and defeated them. Well, the Israelites were allowed to go back to Jerusalem, right, to their hometown, but it was a mess. The walls were a mess. The place was a mess. So Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king of, of Persia, and he, um, he was sad because his people couldn't move back to Jerusalem. So what, what did he do? The, the, the uh, king said, go ahead and go back and fix the wall. So Nehemiah did. He went back and fixed the wall. He had to come up with a plan because people around Jerusalem didn't want the wall fixed. They wanted to be able to go in and out. So what did he do? He came up with a plan, and everybody behind their own homes built the wall. And he built that wall in 52 days. That's a huge wall. And he did that because of teamwork. And then, of course, there's the disciples. What a team that was, huh? Some guys that uh, Jesus put together, some fishermen, tax collector, just normal people, right? But guess what? That's the most potent team you could have ever made. That team changed the world. We wouldn't be here right now if it weren't for that team, right? So God believes and values the team because it's divinely made. And you know what? Teams are all about relationships. Relationships. God wired us to have relationships, right? With him, with each other. Think about the relationships you're in. Marriage, small groups. Serving teams. Maybe you're on a soccer team. Maybe you're on a, a softball team. Maybe you're uh, in a team on your job. All kinds of teams that we have. Just think about those teams as we go through today. But they all come very natural. It's what we, we, we thrive for. It. We're wired for this. Number two, it's imperative that we work together in order for the work of God to be completed. You see, um, God needs us to work together to complete His work, which goes to uh, 1 Corinthians 12, and it's a long scripture, and we're going to go through it, but it really does say it all. The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. Let me stop there for a second. Um, how many of you, including myself, have sat around for many years saying to yourself, I am an awesome eye? Just to come and find out that God really made me a foot. He didn't make me an eye. He made me a foot, but I want to be an eye. His eyes are cool. They get the colors. They're on the head. They're, they're awesome. I want to be an eye. I can be an eye, but you can't because God made you a foot. See, when you, when you act that way, when you think that way, when I think that way, you feel left out. 
you could feel insufficient. You could feel unfulfilled. You could feel as though your purpose in life is not getting completed. And a lot of that comes from pride. You know, pride can make us sometimes force ourselves to be a, an eye when we know we're a foot because we want to be an eye. Now, I know this is symbolic, and we're talking about the body, and we're talking about this scripture, but there's real people here that feel this way. And it's very real. Some people are sitting here today that feel like life doesn't matter. And they're maybe depressed. And they may feel like their purpose isn't being done. They may, may be discouraged. And that can be damaging. And we need to address those things when we feel that way. But you can't do it when you think you're an eye and you're really a foot. You really have to think about that. And you know, for some people, all your marriage needs right now is a foot. But you want to be an eye. But your marriage needs a foot. God put you there to be a foot for your marriage. And you're struggling because you're trying to be an eye. Your small group could be dying for a foot. But you want to be an eye. I'm telling you, it can really cause damage. You have to realize that you are a foot, not an eye. And you cannot fulfill God's, we cannot fulfill God's purpose in our life. until we truly accept what God made us to be. So let's, uh, let's go back to the scripture here. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body. God has arranged the parts in the body. Every one of them, just as he wanted them to be, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Don't let another day go by without talking to God about this. It's important. It's really important to know where he needs you and where he has individually gifted you to serve him. When you get that right, when we get that right, it'll change your life. It's like finding that piece of puzzle that you've lost. You know, I, I don't know about you guys, if you make a puzzle and you got a piece missing, man, does that drive you crazy? But when you find that piece, it's just that satisfaction of knowing it's complete. I see it. See the picture. That's what it's like. See, we were all made to fulfill a purpose. 
When I was playing football, I really wanted to be a running back. I really wanted to be a running back. I mean, I practiced hard to be a running back. I sucked at being a running back. I was terrible. I was terrible. But I kept trying, I kept trying, I kept trying, I kept trying. And man, I was so upset that I couldn't be a running back. But when I, the first day I got to be a guard, let me tell you, I thrived. I was great. I was all state. Because I was where I was supposed to be. And guess what? None of the running backs could make them one foot without me blocking. So it was fulfilling to find where I was supposed to be. God loves variety. Look around. Just look around. Everybody around you is different. Different. 37 trillion cells make up the body. Everyone's different. Even identical twins, they have different fingerprints. Nobody in this world that's been, has been, is, or will be, will be the same. That's variety. 37 trillion cells. God made it pretty complex, didn't he? He didn't have to. He did. You know why? Because he loves to use variety. He uses variety to fulfill his purposes. It's amazing. It's just amazing. He just loves to use variety. 950,000 species of insects. Do we really need 950,000 species of insects? But you know what? God uses it. Number three, God reveals our true selves through our relationship with others. So if you're truly in a, in a, a mature, healthy, intimate relationship, whether it be a spouse or a small group or, or a team that you're on, it's full of honesty. It's full of integrity. And when you're in those types of situations, guess what? It's really hard not to reveal your weaknesses. It's really hard not to pour out who you really are. And that's a good thing. Either you're going to pour it out or someone's going to point it out because they're holding you accountable. And that's, that's good. That's a good thing to be in. And when you're in a, in a group, in a good, healthy group, guess what? You find out very quickly how selfish you are because you figure out very quickly how much you're willing to sacrifice for them. How much are you willing to sacrifice for the people in your groups? How much are we willing to go the extra mile? We'll figure it out pretty quickly when you're in a good team. And the last thing is you're, you understand when you're, when you understand your weaknesses, when you understand where you are lacking and you repent and you turn from those things that you're weak in, you become closer to Christ. And that's what God wants. He wants you to be closer to Christ, closer, more like Christ. So it's natural. It's divine. It's the divine makeup. It's necessary because we have to work together to actually complete the work of God. We can't do it alone. And third is, it helps to bring you closer to Christ. So why can't we be good teammates sometimes? Because we're not always good teammates, believe me. We're just not. Well, the answer is sin. And I would say the sin of pride is probably one of the bigger ones. When you look at Proverbs 16.5, it states, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. God's not a big fan of pride. And pride, believe me, is the number one killer of relationships. Number one killer. Groups, teams, I mean, we've all been on them. When you've got that one person that's 
out for themselves. It, it really hurts. It does not make for a very fun time. So, if we know sin keeps us from being the best teammates, what are the characteristics that we need to have to be the best teammate that we can be? Well, I looked on the internet on a lot of different places. I looked in sports psychologists and psychologists, talk about team, what makes a good teammate, what's, you know, what the characteristics. And there was really five that really stood out on most everyone's list. So there's five of them, so write them down. Number one, honesty. Honesty. Proverbs 24, 26. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Wow, that's kind of a funny verse, isn't it? But it does have a point. Proverbs is talking here about judgment, judges back in the day, and honest judges weren't easy to come by, but an honest judge was wonderful because an honest judge was hard to come by, and it meant that they were putting out good judgments, and it was so good that they compared it to a, uh, a kiss on the lips. What a, what a comparison, but it's just the sweetness of both of them, a sweet, sweetness of an honest judge, sweetness of a kiss on the lips. Honesty is at the heart of all relationships. Honesty is at the heart of all good relationships. If you can't trust someone on your team, or if you can't trust your spouse, if you can't trust um, if, if we can't trust people that we are in uh, a group with, there's damage there, and that's really hard. Second thing, servant heart. So we talk a lot here about um, John 13, um, which is in the second half of the Bible. And John, the book of John, uh, 13th chapter, talks about uh, right before the Last Supper, and Jesus wraps a towel around him, and he sits down, and he washes the feet of his disciples. And he says... I came to serve and not be served. We all know that story. We all know what it is. But do you know at the end of that story what he says? He says, to do these things and be blessed. He doesn't say to do these things and you might get blessed or you may get blessed. He says to do these things and be blessed. I don't know about you, but if someone can predict their death, predict their resurrection, and actually pull it through, I'm probably going to listen to him. And this is something he promises. Fourth thing, or third thing, is reliable. In um, Romans 8.37, I think it is, um, talks about God's love and a separation of God's love. And it's just an amazing passage. But it says something to the effect of neither death nor life nor demons or angels, present or future, anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God. That's reliable. That's pretty reliable, right? All of creation. So how reliable are we? Think about the groups you're in. Think about your marriage. Think about your small group. Think about your serving teams, your work groups. How reliable are we? Are we showing up for the games for our kids? Are we thinking of our um, small group? Do we show up for small group? Do we show up for small group for the snacks or do we show up for the, uh, um, the actual glorifying of God? How reliable are you? How reliable am I? We have to think about those every day. Fair is number four. Proverbs 2, 7 through 9. 
says, He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those who, whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. God knows what's fair. God leads us to what's fair. Have you ever played a game with someone who's not fair? Have you ever played a game with a cheater? I have, and it's not much fun. It's not much fun to play, be in a group with someone who's a cheater. It's just not fun. Fairness, it's important. And the last one, number five, is an encourager, positive attitude. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You know, you know, you know a doggy downer? You know what a doggy downer is? That person that you walk in the room and you know they're going to be critical. They're going to have a negative attitude. And they're going to bring your attitude right down with it. I know you're thinking of somebody right now. So I know I am. But it's just, it's, it's infectious. It really is. And you know, we can't control a lot of things in our life. We just can't. We can't control who our parents were. We can't control where we were born. We can't control when we were born, what century we were born. We can't control what state we were born in or what country we were born in. We can't control what gifts God's given us. We can't control the skin color we have. We can't control a lot of things in our life. There's one thing we can control. It's our attitude. 100% of the time, we can control our attitude. My dad died when I was 16. And in 16 years, that man never missed an opportunity to encourage me. Not once. I don't care how bad things were. That man said, you are a great baseball player. You are a fantastic kid. You are a talent. You can do anything you want. That lives in me to this day. And the reason I tell you that is because, guess what? Parents, spouses, people, leaders, your actions and your words have eternal impacts on the people around you. And guess what? You have full control of that. Full control. You want to bring someone down, you want to bring them up. That's your choice. God gives you 100% control of that. Think about it. Honesty, servant heart, reliable, fair, encourager, positive attitude. These are all great traits. We, who wouldn't want to hang out with somebody like this, right? But it also reflects on things we've talked about here in the past, and that's the fruits of the Spirit, right? Fruits of the Spirit, um, you know, are very similar when you look at these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, these all fall together. When you're walking with the Lord and you're walking for the Lord, believe me, these will be the fruits and you will be a great teammate. I learned a lot when I was in that football team. I really did. I didn't know it at the time, but I did learn a lot. And it meant a lot. But let's close with a few truths. Jesus said, wherever there are two or more gathered in my name, I will be there. Jesus also sent out his disciples in groups of two. 
He didn't send them out to go preach. He sent them out to heal, to do the work of the Lord. You think he knew something about groups, teams? Well, you know what? He also said that in this life, you will have trouble. He knew we'd have trouble. He knew there was going to be trouble. He said it. There's no denying it. In Peter, in 1 Peter, he also states that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you know anything about a lion, they sit in the tall grass, they wait for their prey, right? They don't go after the pack. They go off after the, the weak one, the young one, the old one, the one that's isolated, and they devour them. See, Jesus knew this. He knew this. There's power in us doing it together. And there's vulnerability in us doing it alone. He knew it. He was trying to tell them then, and I'm trying to tell you now. Think about the teams we're on. Jesus said, where two or more gather in my name. He didn't say if two or more gather, I'll be there. He said, where two or more gather in my name. That means you're glorifying the Lord. Are we glorifying our spouse in that relationship? Are we glorifying our small group? Are we doing the work of the Lord? Are we going with an open heart and a servant's heart? Are we glorifying God in any team we're on? And are we embracing the uniqueness God gave us? Are we embracing it instead of looking at it as a curse? Are we embracing the uniqueness God made you to be? Well, I would encourage everyone here, if you're not serving, if you're not in a small group, get in a small group. Segway's coming up. If you're not serving here, you should be serving. Jesus said, do these things and be blessed. He's talking about serving. If you're sitting in the stands and you're watching others serve, you're missing the blessing. If we don't take action, we miss the blessing. I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss a blessing. Take the time to think about it. Don't sit on your hands and watch. Rick Warren wrote the book, um, Purpose Driven Life, and the first sentence in that book said, it's not about me. One of the most famous books out there, and the first sentence is, it's not about me. And he's talking about your purpose and my purpose. We weren't wired to do this alone. We just weren't. We can't accomplish God's purpose or our purpose alone. We can't do it. So we must cherish the teams we're on. We must cherish it because you're on that team to glorify God, not yourself. You're on that team to glorify God. So cherish it and pray for the next team you're on because that's the next blessing. Let me pray for you. Holy Father, you are amazing. You are simply amazing. You bring us together 
37 trillion cells, and you make us. And you make us for yourself, for your glory. And it just amazes me that we can take all of this and we can do your work, but we can't do it together or without each other. We can't do it without each other, Lord. You made that very clear. But God, help us to find that next team. Help us to cherish the ones we're on, Lord, and help us to honor you in everything that we do because doing it together is better than doing it alone. God, we love you, we praise you, and we give you all the glory. And all of Connection said, amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at justshowup.church. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692.